Welcome to CrashPad. We interview founders and employees of failed startups to get a picture of what led to the startup's failure and other valuable lessons. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to CrashPad, episode two. My name is Manav Sundaraman, and I'm here with my co-host, Vivek James. And today we have Gary Coventry, the former head of product development and innovation at Mela Sciences. Gary, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here, guys. So, Gary, um, it's really good to have you here. Just to start this whole thing off, let's hear more about yourself. Uh, what did you major in college? What did you anticipate pursuing straight out of college? And do you think you'd enter the biotech industry at the time? Um, so, I guess, let's see. So, my uh, undergrad was electrical engineering. And then I, um, I ended up, you know, sort of with electrical engineering, you kind of go either the options seemed to be in the Connecticut zone where I was living, either go into the medical space or go into the military space. And I wasn't really interested in the military space. So ended up going in the medical space, uh, ended up working for Bayer Corporation for a bunch of years, um, working on blood analyzers and motion control for those and spectrophotometers, data acquisition, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, was there, I got my master's degree at Polytech just as part of stuff to get done there. Um, I left there for a uh, startup called Fitlinks in Stanford in the health, kind of in the um, fitness space where we installed systems uh, in various gyms and clubs that connected all the equipment together and presented people's data up on the web and let you know, fitness professionals work with uh, more people more effectively. Uh, so that was kind of fun. And then I ended up at Mela. So um, at Mela Sciences, we were working on early classification of, of skin lesions for melanoma, for the detection of melanoma. So it's kind of the short path of, you know, the big corporate bear to the first startup to the second startup. Awesome. So that's a good segue into our next question, which is okay. how did you uh, come about Mela Sciences and what were your initial views of the founders? So uh, Fitlinks had actually been acquired. And so I was still consulting for them, but it wasn't like a uh, full-time thing. And uh, I ended up having dinner with a good friend of mine who was actually working at Mela Sciences. Didn't know that at the time. And so he was like, well, what are you doing at the moment? I'm like, well, I'm doing a little bit of consulting, but he's like, well, I need you. So, <laughs> so that's really how I ended up at Mela. Um, and uh, Chris, who was, who hired me in at that time, uh, was uh, a guy I knew from back at Bayer. So, um, so we sort of stayed in the same circles of, of uh, medical devices and, um, you know, and that's that's how I ended up at Mela. I actually came in as a consultant uh, just to help out with some initial problems they were having with the devices, and pretty soon ended up leading the engineering team, and then it ended up ended up leading the product development team. And, you know, getting pretty involved, and uh, it was a fun ride. I mean, you know, unfortunately, it didn't end up where we thought it would, but uh, it was one of those, you know. Um, as was Mel as was uh, Fitlinks, you know, we had stock options, and you know, it was uh, it was a lot. Like I said, a fun ride. You know, it's, uh, at some points, you know, you look like you're going to make really, really do well and really pr provide some 
great product out in the marketplace and at other points, not so much. So, um, but that's how I ended up at Mellow. Right. So could you give us some more insight into what exactly the Mellow product was and how exactly you worked to develop and enhance this over time? Sure, sure. So uh, the um, basic device was a multispectral imaging system. So uh, it took images of uh, a suspected skin lesion. So we would place the, uh, the device in contact with the skin lesion because we, we had to get very close uh, to get the microscopic uh, view of that lesion. Um, and it would take images of the lesion with 10 different wavelengths of light. Uh, so 10 different images. And then we used all, uh, we used, we acquired a huge set of 10,000 uh, training images using that device and built a classifier to distinguish melanomas from non-melanomas. Um, so it was, you know, a big, uh, sophisticated piece of hardware. Like I said, the 10 different frequencies of light, 10 different wavelengths, all focusing down to the same point. So there were some sophisticated optics. Uh, and so that was our data acquisition system was the imaging and, and multispectral imaging. And then, as I mentioned, we uh, built this uh, lesion database of 10,000 lesions, and we trained a, uh, a classifier to distinguish between the, the melanomas and non-melanomas. So um, that was the basic device. It was a handheld instrument, kind of looked like, a, if you will, a big hair dryer with a lens on the front of it. Uh, and it was attached to a cart with a computer in it that did all the crunching. Um, of the data. So, um, so that was the device uh, that we brought into dermatologists' offices. We put about 100 of them out in the United States. We put about 50 of them in Germany. And yeah, that's, that was the device. And so could you give us an overview of the biotech hardware industry at the time? I can't say I'm the industry expert. Um, you know, we're trying to bring in a uh, kind of a breakthrough paradigm shifting kind of device into the dermatology marketplace, which turned out to be a pretty difficult thing to do. Uh, it's, you know, trying to shift people's paradigms is always a difficult thing. Uh, and skin examination, particularly in the U.S., uh, has always been done visually. So the doctors are kind of comfortable with the visual skin examination and bringing in a technology that sort of, and I think part of, you know, I, I would say, you know, there's things you figure along the way that, you know, where you kind of fumbled. Uh, one of them is trying to say, this is, this is better than you. And, and reality, it was not better than the very best dermatologists, but it was probably better than a lot of dermatologists who don't see a lot of melanoma skin cancers. So they're not, truly experts at it. It's just uh, experience-based. So, you know, I guess this kind of, the attempt was to produce a more um, normalized decision, whether it's a melanoma or not a melanoma, but trying to tell uh, dermatologists or, or doctors that, you know, the way they do things is not the right way. I, I think I think we got our messaging. I think we need to refine that a little bit more than we did personally. I think that was a stumbling block. I think, you know, and I think um, probably we were kind of early 
out to the market with a classifier uh, of that nature because uh, we couldn't process the images fast enough. We, you know, the, the time to result was a little bit slow. Uh, took a couple of minutes for a spot. And doctors don't really want to spend two minutes on an individual spot. So a lot of issues there. Right. So you've talked a lot about some of the difficulties of acquiring customers during this. Could, could you give us an uh, intro into how exactly you procured customers uh, during this phase? Sure. Uh, we had a you know, multi-pronged approach. We had certainly we had a pretty good sales team. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, there are issues, there's a lot of different kinds of issues. One is, and, and you know, probably rollout issues. You know, I know our original intent, sorry, this is a convoluted story, but um, our original intent was to focus on the tri-state area, just a kind of a local rollout. But I think the pressure from our investors at that point was to roll out in a bigger fashion. Uh, so we tried to roll out nationally. So the U.S. is a big territory to cover when you're a little startup. <laughs> so uh, I think I think that was a kind of a flaw. We should have kept to the original plan of just rolling out in the tri-state and, and getting more effective there. But so we did have a sales team. We had our own, you know, internal sales team that we developed. We did do quite a lot of um, marketing spots. We were on Good Day America and, you know, several other programs um, showing the device. And so that, those were the kind of avenues was, were uh, also trade shows like the um, uh, AAD, which is the American Association of Dermatologists uh, annual trade events. So we did trade shows, direct sales, and um, you know some televised marketing, basically, really more appealing to the consumer demand. And we did actually put a map of where our devices were, and we did get, you know, consumer interest, right? So consumers really want the best things for their skin, scare, skin care. And uh, so we mapped where our devices were, and that, that drove people to the devices. That helped. Europe was a slightly different situation. Uh, we had one really energetic young saleswoman that um, spent her time in Germany, and it's a smaller country. It was, she was able to connect. And they have a lot of conferences, a lot of dermatology conferences. So she was able to connect with a lot of doctors there fairly quickly. And so I guess really we we put out 50 units with one salesperson in, in Germany, and I think we put out 100 units with 20 salespeople in the United States. It's kind of interesting difference. And so at the time, what was the competitive landscape like? Were you the first mover in the space, or what did it yeah. look like? Uh, we were the only ones doing a multispectral classification device. Uh, there are other devices out there that used other technologies trying to do the same kind of um, differentiation or classification. Um, there were, there were um, impedance technologies, electrical technologies that put little probes into your skin, uh, which doesn't sound pleasant, but actually it wasn't that bad. But, um, you know, it was a, they were trying to do the same kind of thing and uh, just with a different technology. Uh, I honestly don't believe they're around either anymore. Um, you know, I think, I think that, Frankly, what we were doing in both of these cases, we're looking at individual lesions and trying to make a decision 
is that a cancer or not a cancer? Is that a dangerous cancer that's going to kill somebody? You're still relying on the doctor to decide to look at that specific spot. So I think in a way we were trying to focus in too micro onto, uh, onto the problem. Uh, now with um, Melanoscan, we're looking at the whole body all at once. And we're deciding with the whole body imaging and, and change detection over time, um, not is this spot cancer, but does this person have cancer? So, you know, kind of a, kind of a better approach. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I kind of feel like we lo I learned a lot with the Melosciences kind of approach of, of um, trying to look at individual spots, but I think you really need to look at the whole person to, to make an effective diagnosis. Right. So um, when I was doing my research on Melosciences, I found that it actually eventually IPO'd. So um, do you have any interaction with some of your investors and what was the IPO process like? Um, I actually was not involved directly in the IPO process. Um, certainly um, we were all shareholders of the company though, you know, and uh, you know, did get inv involved in investor meetings and presentations. What was that process like? I don't know. <laughs> it's like any shareholder meeting, I guess. Uh, once you've got the shares out there, everybody's, uh, you know, rallying to see how you can perform, basically. It is different in the sense of uh, when you're privately held, you have more control. And I think that might have been a, a maybe, maybe that's another flaw, you know, in the sense that, uh, I mean, I think we needed the IPO. We needed the money to develop what we were doing. Um, but, you know, if you have uh, investor pressures, uh, or early on, I think it, it might be, it might have been too early for that. But it may well have been that just the technology was too early. And so do you think taking the company public resulted in more problems than benefits at the time? Um, that's a toughie. You know, we needed the, the, the infusion of capital. Um, do I think we could have done it? I, I think, I think actually, in retrospect, uh, really... You know, like I said, I think the technology was a little early and it was a little slow. Um, taking two minutes to look at a spot when some patients have hundreds or thousands of spots and you're not sure which ones to evaluate. Um, so I, I think that was kind of more of a fundamental flaw than uh, than the IPO part. You know, I, I think I think, you know, we needed the funding to go after the market and just uh, we were just too early to the game. That's my opinion. <laughs> Others may have other opinions. Right, right. Um, that, that's actually an interesting thing that you point up because it is a good thing to be ahead of your time, but if the market doesn't react well to it, then that can result in a company's failure. Right, um, right. Yeah, I think there, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of different uh, situations like that out there that have occurred. Right. So, um, like, what was the first sign of things not going smoothly as uh, you anticipated? Can you take us through that day or week or how long it um, might have taken? Uh, boy, it's, uh, you know, I think... It's probably a lengthy process. It is a lengthy process with a lot of bumps along the way. You know, um, certainly when you start seeing a shift, uh, changes in CEOs, um, oh, your CEOs changed. 
Yeah, CEO changed. Uh, I think uh, Joseph was our original CEO, and uh, he was a real, he was a wonderful CEO. I mean, he really uh, brought the cohesiveness into the company, the focus into the company. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know in the end why he left or caused that finally, Um, but he did. And uh, I don't think we did well after that, frankly. Right. I think think part of it was investor pressures. You know, again, back to we were originally going to do this kind of small rollout you know, the original, our original plan was to deliver uh, 30 units in the tri-state area. And suddenly we were at 275 units nationally. Um, right. And I think that was a, that was a flaw. And I think it was, uh, we were bowing to our investor pressures to turn this into something faster than we should have. Do you think you guys could have bootstrapped the business and um, found more success? I, I think it would have been very difficult. Or, or, you know, this is back to the technology side again. Um, it was very expensive to produce the, the handheld instrument. Um, I think in retrospect, we should have probably done a cost-cutting exercise on the handheld device earlier on. We did one towards the end, but I think it was too late. You know, I think... Uh, you know, people were not concerned with the cost. People were like, we're just going to go ahead forward with this device and the hell with the cost um, because it's going to make breakthrough change into the marketplace. But I don't think uh, the marketplace was ready and the device, again, slow. And, uh, you know, so we weren't able to get the acceptance to, um, you know, cover the costs, basically. Bootstrapping would have been tough. Or impossible. And so with any med tech startup, a major you know step along the way to cross is FDA approval. And so would you be able to take us through the process of getting this approval and what are the lessons you might have for any other med tech companies that are yet to go through it? So we did get we did get FDA approval. Um, that was a major hurdle, particularly for a uh, PMA, uh, which is a pre-market acceptance. Um, so this is, you know, the device is first of its kind. So there was no prior device to say, okay, this is a like device. So we're, you know, it's, that's an easier approval process. Um, so yeah, the, the FDA, um, PMA process was, was pretty intense. Um, it was certainly an all hands on deck getting the documentation together, um, but we did it. We put it together. It was uh, unbelievably a 10,000 page document we delivered to the FDA. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and, and some of the things that go along with that are really crazy because you have to actually deliver five paper copies, or at least we did in those days, in that, that point in time, 2012. How long did that take? To put together 10,000 pages of documentation? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was an all hands on deck effort. I mean, everybody was creating, you know, I mean, it was, you know, design history file, design documentation, uh, all the software validation information. You know, there's a lot of stuff, specifications, um, all the testing protocols, all the thermal 
testing and all these all this testing data um, had to be put together in a cohesive fashion. So it was a, uh, it was a big project. But the funny part is, I was about to say, is we had to deliver this 10,000 page document and you had to deliver five paper copies. So each copy weighed 180 pounds. So it was <laughs> 900 pounds of paper we delivered on a pallet to the FDA. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's a nutty thing. And then, of course, everything was on a CD for them to actually use. But, you know, it's just a government requirement, I guess. Right. Um, so it was a kind of a that's just kind of a funny thing that happened, happens along the way. But um, so we had an approved process with the FDA. We had met with the FDA and um, and agreed upon uh, an expedited review because there was this um you know, we're trying to save lives, right? So we, the belief is we're gonna try and save lives with this technology. So we get granted this expedited expedited review process. Somewhere along the way within the FDA, they didn't hold their end of the bargain in the sense that the six months stretched into two years on their end. Hmm. And uh, we had to actually, um, what was it called? It's called a citizen's, I guess we held a kid a citizen's complaint against the uh, FDA on this kind of forced their hand um, and at that point we uh, what they agreed to was a basically it was a board of review um, with I believe 13 doctors so we presented our data from our biostatistician uh, they had their biostatistician and then we had this review board of doctors who said yay or nay, basically, for the approval of our device. Um, and it was an interesting process. Um, the uh, final, I think the, the real win, winning blow for us was the one doctor who said, uh, and it's an interesting statement, you know, doctors make mistakes and people die. And this device will make mistakes and people will die. But I believe we'll make less mistakes with this device and less people will die. So, so that was the biggest selling point to the FDA. Yeah. You know, that was, that was the kind of, and like I said, I think early on, I said, you know, um, the very best dermatologists and Brett Drugi is certainly one of those. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, there's just people who are experts in, in detecting skin cancers and, and melanoma specifically, particularly, you know, Rhett has seen many, many, many melanomas. So, uh, whereas many dermatologists don't see that many melanomas. So he's, he's just got the eye for it. Um, but I think we were just better than the average dermatologist and maybe not as good as the very best dermatologist with this device. But anyhow, we got the approval from the FDA, but it was, not an easy process, both technically and politically. Right. So um, eventually, eventually, even though Mela IPO'd, uh, it ended up trading like pennies to the dollar. Am I right? Well, it was a bit of a ride. You know, I think um, we were at two dollars or something like that, or a little under two dollars, and we got up as high as eleven dollars, I believe, at one point. Right. And then, yeah, it, it was a downward spiral from there. Right. So, like, what do you think was the biggest contributor to that downward spiral, as you mentioned? 
Um, lack of sales, you know, lack of revenue, basically. You know, we just couldn't, we didn't generate the revenue that uh, we anticipated. And I think the reason for that is, again, back to it was too slow, you know, and it was too, it was too expensive, too expensive, too slow, too early. You know, if we were doing it today, if I was doing the same device today, I would do it much differently. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up because you spend a lot of time with Mela during, you know, it's tumultuous history. So what were some of the mistakes in decisions that other startups should be wary of? Well, I guess that's, you know, um, you know, you need to look at the marketplace and, and decide, are they going to be accepting of this technology? And is this, is this technology actually going to fit the need? You know, is it going to fit in with, in this case, the workflow in a clinical environment, right? Um, you know, a clinical environment is, you know, you go see your doctor these days, it's pretty fast paced, right? Insurance payments are not what they used to be and doctors are pushed to move patients through at a fairly rapid point pace. Um, so if you're not part of helping that game, if you're hindering that game, um, you're not going to be successful. That's, that's certainly one thing. And that, that's back to the technology and the speed and the performance of this device. So, uh, you know, and I think if, if you can help that game, then the cost is actually not important. Not, I shouldn't say not important, but it's less important. You know, you can, you can sustain a, a higher cost if you can increase the doctor's throughput and profitability. So I think, you know, cost, you know, cost is always a consideration in anything. Um, you know, I'm talking in the medical space, of course, but I think that's true of anything, I think. Um, and the other thing, you know, I'd say back, back to my fitness experience, um, you know, that was another interesting experience. We were, we, we put in basic, basically um, the digital um, personal trainer because the device was acting like a personal trainer. In reality, it was helping the personal trainers, but um, people were maybe um, afraid of this technology affecting their careers, their jobs. So it's another one. I think, you know, you have to look at uh, how much pushback you're going to get trying to shift the way people do things, you know, whether it's, whether it's in a clinical workflow or some other space, you know, that um, is going to affect people right you have to make sure you have a good you know going to be accepted so um is there anything you as an early employee and leader in your company uh would have done differently in hindsight is there anything that you would have told your founders um, well i think i think um it's tough it's it's a tough road particularly with the fda because I think, you know, it would have been good to kind of um, take what we were doing and redo it completely to cost cut and increase the speed and performance. Uh, but that would have been a, a major redesign. And uh, I, I think that's what we really needed to do. Um, I think we just kind of got, we ran out of ramp, <laughs> ran out of financial ramp ran out of time ramp, um, you know, and, and like I said, you have this, this FDA approval thing. Once you have your device approved to make changes to it, 
is a very difficult process. Um, and the kind of changes that needed to be made, I think were kind of radical changes, you know, to, to reduce the cost of this device dramatically. Um, I think, you know, the other thing is there is, you know, it's a kind of a risk tolerance thing, you know, and we had some people in the company who were very risk adverse. So, you know, they didn't want to make changes that probably should have been made because of that risk adversity. Um, and unfortunately, I think, you know, that's, that's, that hurt us. I think that uh, we probably should have made changes earlier and uh, or recognize that maybe we needed to get more funding, maybe, or maybe, you know, as I've said earlier, I, I think we're, what I'm doing now, looking at the whole body is probably a better approach. In actuality, that might've been interesting, kind of a one-two punch to have Melosciences and uh, Melanoscan paired up, for instance. Um, we did it, we did discuss that very briefly, um, but it never came to anything. And so most startups fail for one of two reasons. They either don't reach product market fit or they fail at execution. Do you think Mela falls into either of the two buckets or not? Uh, I'd say it's, it was, um, it's a little bit of both. Right. It's a little bit of both. You know, the market fit again, um, device being slow and expensive didn't fit the clinical workflow as well as it could have. You know, if it was a fast device and it was inexpensive and you could just go boom, 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 checking lesions, um, I, I think it would have been it would have much had much better acceptance. No question in my mind. Uh, and from the other side, in terms of the execution, um, I think we needed uh, maybe more training data, possibly. Um, we needed yeah. to have a better, our numbers needed to be a little better on the classifier. They were good enough to satisfy the FDA, but only just. Yeah, I think that's a problem that a lot of AI companies face um, these days, the lack of labeled data. Uh, right. Yeah, so, so that was, so for us at Sciences, acquiring that data was a huge, huge process to get 10,000 lesions. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have a dermatology office, you know, so we had to pay for that, basically. And we paid dearly for that. And, um, you know, some of the things you pay for along the way that are, are kind of surprising is um, we actually had every lesion um, checked by three pathologists. So these lesions were excised. They were sent out for uh, analysis by pathologists. And we sent it to three pathologists to make sure that there was agreement as to whether this was a melanoma or not. So it was a very expensive process. Um, and, you know, back to the execution side, I think we needed more of that. And, uh, you know, I just, it's a very difficult um, equation, basically, to get the data you need to produce the device. Uh, I, I think also 
back to the device, I think we could have, again, faster, cheaper, more data. <laughs> All of those things would have made a, made a better hit, both in market acceptance and in terms of the product performance. So just to get a little bit of a throwback to earlier, when you said you wanted to focus on the tri-state area, but your investors pushed for more of a nationwide you know, launch, towards the end of the company as you know it, what was, what was the investor reaction like? Did they realize any problems with the approach they took or what was the general feeling? I don't know that, no, I don't think it, I think it was just that we missed our target. You know, from their perspective, we missed our target, you know. We said we would do X and we didn't meet X and careful what you say you're going to do. <laughs> like, uh, to that point, what were um, investor relations uh, like, if you're knowledgeable, knowledgeable about this? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not the right person to answer that question. It's as simple as that. Uh, but I think, I think there was always a lot of hope that we would, pull us together. You know, I mean, I don't think, uh, I think our, a lot of our investors were, um, you know, thought that the long-term viability of this would be great, you know, that we would get there. But I think, uh, you know, they just didn't maybe see the internal struggle of, of uh, working with the clinical path flow um, and, you know, selling into a difficult marketplace. You know, I think uh, those things are, are things that don't show up in investor presentations. So uh, what is one piece of advice you would give med tech companies or startups today? Hmm. Piece of advice. Don't do, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, yeah, just be sure that, you know, that you're, really going after something that's going to, that's going to integrate into a medical practice somewhere that's going to make a difference. Right. Uh, it is about productivity at the end of the day. Um, you know, the, the, the pressures to reduce healthcare costs are enormous. And, you know, I mean, everybody's feeling that, right. Uh, you know, you, you know, you, you may not see it yourself yet, but certainly I have over my career span watching my healthcare costs go up and up and up and up and like there's no no limit. Um, it's crazy, you know. Um, I think when I started my career, you know, my cost was nothing. And today my cost is substantial. Um, and I think that's true of every employee these days. So I've seen it go from very little to a lot over over a bunch of years, and um, so I think that's a fundamental flaw. Is you know, if fundamental problem I should say with the healthcare system is the cost. So if there's a way to introduce something that can really address that, then I think you have something. Um, but you also have to find a path into the market, right? You have to find uh, you know, there may be people along the way that are not interested in reducing cost, right? Certainly, if you're going to affect a doctor's a doctor's bottom line, reduce his profitability, you're, that's not going to be a win. So, um, so it is about efficiency, improving process, 
those kinds of things. Um, so I think those are the, those are the things that will make certain people successful, certain uh, companies successful, something that can actually make a difference in healthcare costs and efficiencies and uh, diagnostic uh, accuracy, right? If you're going after the diagnostic side, for instance, which is something I'm, you know, keenly aware of, right? From blood analysis to malasciences to melanoscan, it is about the quality of your result. For sure. All right. So that was thank you so much for that, Gary. That was one of the most profound conversations I've had about medtech. So thank you for all your insight. Okay. Cool. Nice talking to you. All right. So to the rest of our guests, please tune in for next time's episode. Thank you.